Welcome to the Set Life Podcast, hosted by Reed Petro, the show dedicated to working and aspiring filmmakers in the motion picture industry. We are here with a very special guest, Evan Borger, and he is uh, the host, creator, and um, runs the podcast, The Super Secret Filmcast, um, which is one of my favorite podcasts right now. And I'm so happy and excited to have him on this show. And we talk about all kinds of things, um, like finding your voice and, you know, how he does everything. You know, he's got a lot going on. And so this one is going to be a little longish. So I'm, I'm sorry about that. And we will uh, we'll jump into it um, momentarily here. And um, But thank you so much for... Um, checking me out, checking out this podcast, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, this is a really, really good interview with him, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Ah, uh, that's it's going. Um, just running a blog and a Facebook group and a podcast and a YouTube channel and being a director DP and sort of running a small production company and trying to be a decent husband in the midst of all of that. I I think, I mean, a lot of it, honestly, uh, I think this year has taught me a lot about like efficient workflows and making things work faster for me. Um, and so that's where like a lot of the stuff that I continue to do, I have a pretty good system for getting it done quickly at this point. Um, so like, you know, my podcast doesn't, it's not like a super produced thing. So it's pretty simple for me to turn around. And that was like a conscious decision where I was like, I'm more likely to actually keep putting this out if I make it really easy for myself to make it. <laughs> you know what you got to do right do you, you got time allocated for each kind of endeavor yeah it would be better if i could like actually schedule my time better i still leave way too much time for like <laughs> playing fifa and drink making coffee now but uh but yeah i try to i try to just make things efficient so they don't take too too much time and like the blog's easier now cuz most of what i end up doing on the blog is like proofreading other people's articles and just like formatting them for them um uh which is a lot faster than writing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, so you're doing all this all this crazy stuff. First of all, I want to just say huge fan of your work and love what you do, all the content that you've made and your passion for teaching filmmakers. Um it's just inspiring and and you know, it's one of the reasons that I have created this my own podcast really is just you know out of like not to compete and not to say that like oh I can do it better but like I don't know it's just like the whole medium I've fallen in love with and and loved just all of the the interviews that you've done and and content you've provided so yeah thanks dude I mean and I definitely don't um one I don't think it's that hard to do it better but two I definitely would never see it as um competition there's a lot of cool people who have very i think different voices who are contributing cool things in the space um you know patrick starting wandering dp was one mm -hmm. of the things that made me start considering doing a podcast um and i feel like his podcast is very different than my podcast is very different than matt workman's podcast which is very different than your podcast like i think they all serve different purposes and are for so you know there's some overlap but even are for different people in some ways so i think it's always cool to have more options in that space 
Yeah, exactly. And I and I had a friend who that who asked me that question. It's just like, well, what makes you stand out? You know, like why are you doing this? And I'm just like, well, I guess. I mean, I guess I have my own voice. I mean, everybody's got their own voice, yeah. right? I mean, so well, but not yeah. everyone. I think um, part of that though is that everyone should have their own voice, but a lot of people don't take the time to like figure out what that is. Um, and so I will say that there are a few filmmaking podcasts that I've seen pop up recently that to me, you can just tell, feel a little like hopping on the bandwagony, um, <laughs> that are less like, like I look at it and I just go like, I feel a little bit like you don't have anything to say, but you feel like you need to say something. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think part of that though, is just figuring out like, um, what your voice is not to totally get on the like meta podcast about making podcasts. Um, but I think figuring out like for me, what I really like doing on my show is we don't really talk a ton about tech and gear and all that kind of stuff. Like we'll touch on it sometimes, but most of what we end up talking about is like the interpersonal and like personal side of what goes on behind production and like the communication and reality of like your life in the midst of that. Um, and I think like, that's where I try to steer conversations. So like Ryan and I talk about like, you know, what it's like to actually be a director when you're not busy being Instagram famous. And, you know, uh, Ari Robbins and I talked a bit this week about like Steadicam on La La Land, but we talked a lot about like, how do you like go to LA and drop $50,000 on Steadicam gear and like hustle? And what does that actually look like? You know? Um, and so I think that's the thing that like at this point I kind of try to figure out how to tie that into every conversation that I have on the show. Um, so I'm not sure what your thing would be. Maybe it's asking everyone how they make a podcast at the beginning. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not really in the business of that podcast thing, but I love what you said about, yeah, like the not getting away from the techie gear, because that's what I love uh, about your podcast. And that's what I want to try and do for my podcast is that the, the set life podcast, it's, it's, it's life that's around the set and not necessarily like the life on set, right. but it's, it's uh, the life offset as well, right. right? It's like, it's your lifestyle. It's like, how do you create a lifestyle that is about set? in making films and being a filmmaker. And yeah, I mean, that's just, that's what I want to create with, with this, um, with this whole podcast. And so I guess, um, going from the, um, well, you talked about, uh, our meta podcast conversation or the yeah. thing about having your own voice, having your own voice. Yes. Yes. Let's, let's dive into that because I really wanted to talk to you about, discuss with you, pick your brain about your voice and and your pictures and your images that you create. So, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at your work, right? And you've got All We Do, which I love, and then the um the Buccaneers, the maritime piece, and then like all of your great one take music video, one shot music video type stuff. It's got this really it's got this grit to it, right? It's got this like easy rig, uh anamorphic kind of air, uh organic kind of look to it now where did you where did you come up with that voice if that if you would say that that's that is your voice how did you come up with that and then what draws you to that kind of style yeah um you know the the whole voice thing is really interesting and i would qualify this whole conversation by saying that um i'm far from any kind of expert on this as someone who like 
you know, has been making images for like a little, barely over five years. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of guys who are way more experienced than me who will laugh at anything that I have to say about having a voice even. So that's my only, my only tag on that. Um, but if I were to offer any like advice for someone, um, I think that like finding your voice is a funny thing because, um, you know, I'm a musician before I was a filmmaker. And when you start learning an instrument, you usually learn by playing cover songs functionally, whether that's like, oh, your music teacher gives you a sheet or you just pick up a guitar and start playing, you know, someone else's stuff. But the way that you learn the mechanics of the instrument is by imitating what someone else has already done that works. Um, and I think filmmaking is very similar in a lot of ways that like a lot of us get into it and see someone making something that we really like. Um, and we start to try and sort of imitate that and figure out all the technical stuff in the midst of that. If it starts out like, you know, for me, I was a big like um, YouTuber fan of like a lot of these um, kind of like tech comedy, like Rooster Teeth and Freddie Wong and Corridor Digital People. And so when I started out, like I started kind of imitating a lot of that and trying to figure out like, how do you do that kind of shot? And how do you, you know, do the basics of that? Um, and I didn't see any of what I'm doing now anywhere in my future at that <laughs> point in time. I was like full on the, you know, funny action uh, YouTube video train. And I think that in the process of, of trying out other people's voices, um, whether that's, you know, other people you see popular on Vimeo or whatever else, you start to um, get a sense for what you actually really like. And, you know, musically, say, too, like you start playing cover songs of like, oh, I'm going to play this Blink-182 song or this, you know, Ed Sheeran song. And then eventually, as you play enough cover songs and you spend enough time, you get a musician that hopefully has their own little, little amalgamation of like, take your Ed Sheeran, who's like a, you know, sort of rap inspired, sort of folk acoustic inspired. Like he has this fun mix of things that you can, can feel are, are original to him. Um, and so I feel like for me, like when I look at my stuff, it's something that I wouldn't say that I have like the most developed voice in the world, but I do like that. Like, I feel like when I watch my reel, I feel like everything looks consistent. Like I can tell what I've shot regardless of what the project was or what we were shooting on or anything else. Cause I feel like I have kind of a sensibility to the way that I shoot things now. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that comes from like first just, imitating a bunch of stuff and then figuring out what makes your stuff unique um and what really makes you tick and so like for me i don't think like the i don't think anamorphic or the easy rig or anything is necessarily like integral to that i think it can definitely be a part of it but like i think even if you look at my instagram i feel like my instagram feels at least somewhat consistent with a lot of my other work and stuff too um and so it comes more down to like a how do you think about light and composition sort of thing than it does even like a camera movement and, and gear kind of thing. Um, but I mean, there's some very like quantifiable things that I think um, you like a lot of people would notice as far as like what my aesthetic ends up being where it's like uh far side keys like relatively soft far side keys um sometimes stacking hard and soft far side keys um a lot of like medium tights 
and like really wides i feel like um a lot of like same tonal value like if you look at actually i'm just sitting here looking at like the thumbnails on my vimeo and i feel like all the skin tones are at like the same general exposure level um Mm -hmm. and i couldn't tell you exactly what that is it's probably like (laughs) a stop or like a half stop under or something but like all these little decisions that are um that i think are so much more important than like the you know there's there's broad things like oh easy rig and oh dark and moody but like something that <laughs> i guess i'll throw out there at this point is i've i've heard people like throw out my stuff and then throw out that it's like very similar to like Ryan Booth or Khalid or someone and it's like i feel like those people see slightly darker and slightly more handheld and it just all gets wrapped in a boat together um yeah. But I think if you look at my work, Khalid's work and Ryan's work, um, one, Khalid's on a whole nother level and two, Ryan's way better than I am. But three, like everyone's stuff is very distinct still, like despite those um, overlaps, I think those overlaps are tangential to like all the other things everyone doing, everyone is doing that really makes their work stand out. That really comes down to like, how do you see light? How do you see exposure? How do you see composition? And you can't really teach that. Like that's something that you're just going to figure out over the next few years of making a whole ton of images, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah. Experimenting and, and trying stuff out and yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And, um, yeah, I I guess um, with your work, like, is there anything you try to accomplish um, visually? So going with the, I mean, you, you kind of talked about some of the specifics on, on keying and stuff, but uh, is there one thing that you want all of your pieces to accomplish in a whole? From or, like, a, like a visual perspective or like a story perspective or all of the above or? I would say from more from a visual perspective. But, um, I mean, because each story is going to be different, and, I mean, I don't know where you want to be, you know, in 10 years if you're going to go more commercial or uh, music video or, or whatnot. Yeah. But, um, I mean, maybe just more visually. Yeah, I would say that um, I was having this interesting conversation um, a few weeks ago at this point with um, my producer, Dennis, and... I kind of had to like quantify my aesthetic and I feel like for me, my aesthetic, at least right now is like finding the ability to make an image that lives in this fine line between feeling real and produced. Um, So like a lot of what I do or have done up to this point, maybe I should say, isn't, um, isn't super documentarian like it is in nature of like what we're capturing like say like the buccaneers thing it's like we're you know small crew active sports practices like it's a real thing that we're shooting but we want it to feel like a nike commercial but it doesn't feel like a total like million dollar vfx nike commercial like it lives in this world between like you can't tell how much of it is documentary and how much of it is set up almost Mm -hmm. um and that's something that even like, um, like say Harry's story, the to be human, um, all we do piece and stuff like that's to me, that's my aesthetic is like this, 
lives in this funny world where I can't tell if this is like a whole thing or if this is just like one really good guy <laughs> running around. You know, like that, like this is in this funny world between like it's it's better than reality, but it still feels totally real, I guess I would say. Um, and I think for me, whether it's a music video or a spoken word piece or a concert promo or a beer commercial or a sports commercial or whatever else. Like I want it to feel very grounded in reality, but I still want it to feel like a little prettier than reality on a certain way, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's what I love about your, your work is that fine line, that boundary, because I, I love documentary work and, um, I, it really like kind of hits home with me. Um, so with that aesthetic, is there any way, is there any methodology going into a production where you say, hey, like, you know, we're going to plan for this, right? We're going to plan for X, Y, and Z, but we're going to leave it up to kind of your instinct on set, leave it organic on set. Is there, is there some things, is there any methodology to those decisions, uh, what's going to be planned and what's going to be kind of organic on set? Yeah, um, I mean, I think one of the big things that definitely factors in to me in a lot of my pieces are like I've had the, I would almost call it the luxury of getting to um, both direct and DP a lot of stuff, which is nice because um, I'm able to kind of like make make story and visual compromises in a way that feed into each other. Um so, like, let's say, what's a good example piece on here? Um, I don't know. I'm going to not take an example piece, actually. But let's say, like, um, a project that I did on um, human trafficking or something. Or um, A lot of the times, one thing that I'll do that's very practical um, that I'm surprised more people don't seem to do is I hate, hate, hate long interviews. Um <laughs> I hate shooting them, I hate editing them, and I hate trying to make, like, a short, cool thing out of them because it's always super hacked together. Um, and so I avoid long interviews like the plague. Long interviews are, like, inherently documentarian to me as well. Um, and I don't think they have to be. And so I kind of had this, you know, revelation of, like, um, and honestly, I don't know, I might've picked some of this up from someone. So I totally, uh, have forgotten at this point if someone else told me about this, but full attribution to them. Um, but like, so if I come into an interview, say we're doing like a two to five minute web piece on something that has to do with someone's story. Um, like I went to Haiti earlier this year and we did a piece on this kid who used to be a slave there. And, um, and we could sit down and have him tell the story on camera and try and cut it together. But I wanted it to be like a little more, a little less real than that, I guess I would say. You know, like it's very real when you can tell that someone's chopped together a 30 minute long version of a story into a five minute thing. It's like, well, how do we push that to feel a little more surreal and a little more better than real almost? And so what we did is we sit down with this kid. And we talk to him for two hours um, and we go, what's your story? You know, and I'm, I'm talking to him and I go, tell me like from the beginning, beginning, like since you were born to now, what's happened? Um, and take all this information, have this conversation with him and are kind of as we're having that conversation, trying to help him structure in his own head what he's trying to say for the video. So we're able to say, hey, you know, so 
everything that happened before this point probably isn't necessary to what we're trying to do. So we don't have to talk about that. So maybe we start with, you know, oh, you know, I was born in the village and my parents couldn't support me. And so we went and we moved into the city and I got sent to live with my uncle. And then and so we're kind of like structuring this thing for him um, in his own words because he's telling us a story, but we're helping kind of give him bullet points of like how his story fits together. And we'll basically pre-interview and figure out the whole story. And so I'm able to sit there mm. and go like, well, what do we need here? Um, and say like, we did these like testimony videos for our church. It's like, okay. And then you, you know, then this bad thing happened. And then this point in your life changed. And then this happened. And we kind of have a structure of like, I'm able to sit there mid conversation and like actually have our story arc and know like, oh, this is our like four to five minute piece from start to end. And then what we'll do is we'll set up an interview or sometimes, you know, sometimes we'll do the conversation like in the interview space while we're setting up. Sometimes it's totally separate. Um, but then I'll really quickly go like I'll literally set everything up, go up to him and go um, like, let's say in Gabe's example, it's like started on the sidewalk. Um, you went here and this happened, um, fell into drug addiction. This happened. And I'll read them off like seven bullet points and I'll just be like, go. And usually we can have someone just sit in as like eyes for them to talk to and people will deliver four to five minute versions of their stories that are perfectly fit together and like just work and we don't have to edit almost every time. We one taked six interviews in a row that way with people. Wow. Um, but it's the kind of thing that, so we wrap that interview and so we don't have like 40 minutes of content that I don't know what I'm going to do with it. We have a very specific, like, this is your story. And so now we go, how do we get B roll that fits that story? Cause we know exactly everything you just talked mm -hmm. about. And then, um, and it just makes the whole thing easy and it all fits. Like you can tell, it sounds like this guy's just telling this oddly specific, like five minute <laughs> version of his story. It's not a hacked up 30 minute interview. Um, but that's like a very practical thing that I think makes a big difference in that. Like it just feels different than it would have if we did the long interview on camera and then tried to chop it down, you know? Absolutely. No. And that's, that is a wonderful way of approaching that whole situation. Yeah, no, I, I totally dig it. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. Um, Hashtag pro tips. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're all about here. Um, so what do you think would be right now? the one piece that you would say, this is me. Oh, it's tough. Can I say my reel? That's easy. Um, <laughs> oh, that's really tough. Um, I mean, I guess from like an overall perspective, like I'm just looking at the top things on my Vimeo again. The thing that I'm probably currently most overall proud of, despite all its flaws, is uh, the To Be Human Harry's Story piece. Um, yeah, it's like, it's not, um, it's not like, it's not my best DP work, I would say. And it's not my best even like directing work, but it's just such a, like, I just love the way all that came together. I don't even, I can't even explain it, but it just feels really cool to me. The process and was it the process that helped with that? And I mean, obviously the story is just, it's really, you know, uh, heartwarming as well. Right. It's a. It's a great interview with a great individual. So, yeah, I think I think the thing 
you know, with that project, that whole project was really interesting um, because we were kind of like super flying in the dark and didn't know what we were going to get. We didn't know what anyone else was getting. Um, so basically, for anyone who maybe doesn't know, um, there's this band called Oh Wonder, um, and they had this music video project they were working on for a new song. Um, or it wasn't really a new song, but new music video, new single um, called All We Do. And so they put like an all points bulletin out to like the internet at large that they were like, we're looking for, for filmmakers to shoot stuff for this video. Um, and so my producer Dennis was like, dude, we should throw our, our hat in on that. And also Dennis and I are both a wonder fans. So that could definitely played into it. Um, so we sent our reel in, um, and I forget, we talked to the director. He's one of the first episodes of my podcast and he talks about it, but they got a ton of stuff. They had like, I forget what it was, like 80, 100, I don't know, 200 people sent stuff in, and they cut it down to 11 filmmakers that they wanted to actually work on this project um, from all over the world, like Japan and New York and Spain, and I don't even know where everyone was from. But somehow we made this final list, um, and basically what they said was, hey, you've made the cut. You're one of like 12 people who are going to make stuff for this story. Go tell someone's story about what it means to be human and send us the footage. And it's, like, such a broad, vague, yeah. like, oh, man. Like, and so we had no clue. That, like, you know, it's like. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And it's, like, we didn't know what everyone else was doing, like, visually. Like, we didn't sure. know, what, is, like, everyone else shooting on Alexas or is everyone else, like, shooting on 5Ds? Like, what's the feel for this? And so we decided that we were, like, we're just going to do what, like, we do really well. And if, like, if we don't know, then, like, I guess we don't care what everyone else is doing. Um, I mean, that kind so of, I, that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that, I mean, that no, kind of good. sounds like that's just kind of, it was just a hodgepodge. It's like, eh, everybody come up with kind of their own thing, right? Well, it would be like a mosaic yeah. collage. I mean, that's what it turned out to be, right? But Yeah, and I think that was kind of what they were going for, actually. Yeah. It's like they wanted it to feel like distinct voices, so they didn't want to like get too specific about aesthetic because they didn't want it to feel too similar, actually. Um which I think worked out in the final piece, actually. So we got tasked with shooting a story. We actually decided to shoot two stories to be safe because <laughs> we didn't feel super strong about like either one of them and how they were going to fit into the piece because we didn't know anything. So we're like, we'll just shoot two. Um, and both made it into the final edit, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but so I have a director's cut of the one guy's story because all these stories from all over the world came together into an eight-minute video. Um, you can find it on YouTube. It's just oh wonder dash all we do, yep. um, and it's crazy. It's got like over three million views now. Um, yeah, I'll link to it as well in the blog post associated with this for sure. Oh, thanks. Um, but so I did like a director's cut of the one story we did of the one guy uh, named Terry, who's my wife's ex coworker. I guess she used to be a teacher and isn't anymore. He's another teacher. Um, but it was really cool because. Um, it wasn't, there was nothing really fancy. I mean, I guess it was kind of fancy. We had a dragon, um, which was a loner because my Scarlet W hadn't come in yet. And so I actually messaged Jared Land and I was like, hey, I have this project that I think is going to be dope and my Scarlet W isn't in in time. And he's like, oh, we'll send you a dragon to hold you over for the shoot. And I was like, cool. Um, so they sent me this dragon, which was like bare bones though. It was like a brain and a battery plate and 
maybe a, like one card and that's like it it didn't oh. have like a top handle side handle so i like it was we were kind of like really ghetto rigging this thing <laughs> to get it to work thankfully some of my like scarlet pieces fit onto it yeah. um and i already had some like rails and stuff so we put the camera together and i went and uh stole quote-unquote i stole uh the set of lomo anamorphics that lens pro to go has um because they kind of owed me a favor um and that was basically all we had was like me um that's all you my did. easy rig a dragon i think we shot it all on the 50 mil lomo i didn't have a matte box that fit the lomo so i didn't have any way to do nds on the dragon and i didn't have any like real diopters so i was literally hand holding nds and diopters in front of the <laughs> lens while operating the easy rig so i would literally like have my two hands like on the front of the lens holding two pieces of glass in front of the lens and trying to like frame and walk and pull focus at the same time it was such a mess oh my gosh um but the the thing that really made the piece super dope is that we sat harry down and um my wife did the whole interview and he just like went off in the best way possible of like was so incredibly like chill could not did not have any like on camera jitters or anything and it helps that we like know him really well and stuff um but he just went with it like we went in his living room i mean i sort of set it up where like i added a little wrap with like one fluorescent light but there wasn't a lot of lighting going on i was running audio and operating and it was just me harry and my wife um and it's like we we cut on the end of the interview. We rolled like a series of questions for like 25 minutes with him or something. And I was like, dude, if this isn't money, like, I don't know what is. Um, wow. And that, which, and the fun, sorry, go ahead. And, and that's what makes it more intimate. I think is that, you know, when you watch it, it's, it's, you can tell he's very authentic and it's a very intimate kind of, kind of scene. Um, yeah. And having just and you two in there, I think in minimal equipment, minimal lights, like that really helped. Yeah, and I think that's the thing for me about that piece is, like, it's not fancy lighting. It's not, like, there's things I can pick apart about, like, every shot in here because it's all kind of, like, we basically shot it all that night. We had, like, you know, an hour and a half to do an interview and shoot some B-roll. But the thing that makes that piece really great is just, like, is totally his answer to that question. Um and to me, I think that's so often so much more important than like everything else that we build up is important. Um, yep. Where it's easy to get caught up in like there's other stuff on my Vimeo, like say like the Audrey Assad Fox session stuff that it's like this is way more well lit, more crew, more gear, more everything. Um, and I love that piece. But the thing that makes Harry's piece really good is that it's just a really, really good story. Um you know, I was talking to someone just the other day, um, within the last few days, this Young Thug music video came out. Have yeah. you seen this yet? Yeah, that is amazing. It is dope. And so you guys, you should link to that too. Oh, people should check it out. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> but, um, it's, it's but so the perfect. It's, it's so authentic and it's just like, here it is. Here it is. Right. Just well, and the, the thing that to me that's most interesting about it though, is that it's the most like compelling to watch all the way through a music video that I've seen in the last year or two oh, yeah. easily. Oh, absolutely. Um, because it's just so unique. It's just like, it's and, not like a, a white psych, you know, 
four cameras right. on a techno crane and them sing. You know, it's just yeah. It's right. And that's the thing is that like none of what makes that video compelling is like gear or yeah. crew or lighting or it's the thing that really makes it compelling at the end of the day is whether it was the original intended story or not. They have a really good story and people will engage with that story. Even if like 70% of the video is white text on a black screen, <laughs> like that's most of what's going on in there. Um, but people would rather watch white text on a black screen than most of the other music videos out here where they spend a hundred thousand dollars on all kinds of crazy things because it's like an engaging thing going on inside of it, you know? Um, yep. and to me, that's what like makes that video really unique is the director recognized that like, Hey, this story is more compelling than any of the rest of what we shot. And to me, that's what like makes Harry's story great is that it's like the story's great. And it's the thing that like when I look at it, it makes the best piece because I didn't do like all the crazy things that like I can do to make a good image. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. Like someone's going to care way more about the good story of the white text on the black screen than the fanciest, you know, movie crazy shot I can come up with. So I think that. The story, if you can just sit back and get out of the way and facilitate a good story and, like, make it look good and whatever, but, like, if you have a really good story and do an okay job, that'll be way better than the overproduced meh story every time. Dude, I I 100% agree with you. I can't agree with you more. Um, I, I have heard so many from the Music Bay blog, listening to other people's podcasts, just me just kind of searching in myself and finding out that, as a cinematographer, it's all about facilitating the story right it's all about facilitating the content content is king right so i guess maybe i you know now i sound dumb because i asked you all about your voice and your aesthetic but like i guess what's your voice as a filmmaker right because yeah i totally agree with you i think as a cinematographer um you know i don't know where i heard this or who i heard this from but i don't have my reel on my website and it's mm -hmm. for a purpose because Anyone can make, to an extent, good images, right? I mean, you get to a point and your images become cinema quality or whatever, however you want to qualify that, you know, right? But, like, yeah. I want people to look at <clears throat> the works as a piece, right? And see, and, and not almost not notice my cinematography to an extent, right? Be And, yeah. and see this the end product as a whole and see, like, okay, this these are the stories I want to tell. This is the kind of content I want to, I want to make right for people. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know what, uh, what's your thoughts? What's your voice as a, I guess, as a storyteller, like what, what do you want to accomplish with your pieces? Then? Um, that's a really good question. I think, you know, I, I feel like a less developed director than a DP. Like I really enjoy directing and I'm still hoping to do a lot of it this year. But I think it's definitely something that I'm still like I'm less solid in exactly like what my voice would be than I am as a DP. Um, but I think that like um, voice. Well, as I a guess filmmaker. I guess. Do you think that from a just purely a cinematographer perspective, do you yep. think that it's good to have a voice in story wise and not just aesthetics, visual aesthetics? I think that you you have to have some kind of like 
sensibility to the kind of stories that you're able to engage with, I think, because you're always going to do a better job of, like, facilitating a story that you can connect with in some way than just, like, trying to make arbitrary pretty pictures, you know? Um, So I think having a sense of, like... And sometimes, though, I will say that I think that, like, as a DP, there's things that you can do that might fall outside of, like, your, um, like genre or story sweet spot that still fall into your aesthetic sweet spot and i think that can be good to do because it kind of like mixes you up a little bit you know um so like i got called to dp a short um coming up hopefully and it's very much like a very different story than anything that i've ever shot before but it's the kind of thing that just like reeks of me being able to put my aesthetic all over it um and like to me that's a really cool opportunity of like I can help the director, but I trust this director to like make that story work and I can make the visuals work and we can come together and make it cool. Um, but I think that as a DP, like you, you have to, maybe what I would say to that question is that you have to have a sense of like storytelling to begin with. Like, I think that all, um, all really good DPs are secretly at least okay directors. Um, because, you have to be able to look at something and recognize like what's story critical, what's not story critical, like what is the story you're trying to tell and how are you facilitating it? Um, because we're so directly tied to the storytelling chain that yeah. it's like you can't you can't totally disconnect yourself from that ever because yeah. you always have to be like, oh well what's what's the character feeling here and how are we facilitating that? And, you know, so I think that like, I don't know that I have a specific like kind of story that I want to tell or like a specific goal with the stories I want to tell. Um, I think at the end of the day, like for me, I'm still content with like, um, as long as the process is interesting or I don't want to say entertaining, but it's like if, if the process is fun and the client's happy and the check clears like that's a those are three things that I'm okay with you know um and I feel like there was a point where I was actually more picky about like oh I really want this to be like my perfect aesthetic or I want this to be like my perfect story or I want the edit to be the way I want it to and right now I like care a little less about all of that actually um and I'm a lot more willing to be like, I'm going to focus on l- learning whatever I can from everyone around me in whatever situation I'm in, uh, putting myself in a situation where I'm surrounded by talented people and fun people and we can have a good time on set. And as long as everyone's like, or as long as the people who matter are happy with what happened at the end of the day, like then I think that's a good time. So even like I just gaffed a short film uh, this last weekend, overnight Saturday to Sunday in New York City. Um, and it was like a, a student film basically for Columbia for the master's program. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, DP is a friend of mine. He's super, super, super talented guy. Um, you know, directors, a, a film school student and whatever. And so I volunteered to gaff it and it's like, everyone was donating time and whatever, but it was such a like good experience regardless of like, I think the final piece will be good, but to be honest, I don't really care. Cause like that overnight was just such a good experience and it was such a good opportunity to like, so into some of the other student filmmakers there and learn some stuff from like the DP and, 
I think that like I think that the the final piece is great, but I think that it's often easy to like associate what we do with the final piece and be like, oh, you know, I'm a filmmaker, so like the important thing is like what I have to put on my website at the end of the day, and I think often the more important thing is like what did you do during the day? Like who cares like on a certain level what the like final edit that the client puts up on their site is like it's a 60 second spot you spent six days of your life like what was that six days of your life like um and you don't have to like sell all the six days of your life for the sake of getting all cool 30 second spots you know um and so maybe i mean sorry go ahead there's got to be a point where you you're putting food on the table right yeah (laughs) you know right i think that comes with that yeah, I, and I think that's part of it, but I think it's even like even outside of that, like, and this was something that Ryan Booth and I talked about a little bit, um, was like, it's easy to chase all of these like um, various mountaintops of like, oh, I want to like shoot for direct for big brands, or I want to get access to this gear, or I want to you know have enough crew, or I want to shoot a national spot, or like all these different things that you can set up for yourself. Um, And you keep knocking, like setting those things up and knocking them down, at least in my experience. And you don't necessarily feel a whole lot better about yourself after you've accomplished any of them. Um, Like, you know, this year, one of my bucket list, you know, work bucket list things for a few years was I want a million hit video. Um, And in the span of three weeks, I had two videos crack a million hits. Um, And it was like cool for five seconds. And then I was so over it. Um, And what in hindsight is way more important. Like I care way more about the experience that I had in that room with Harry than I do about the fact that that video has 3 million views because that 3 million views doesn't actually affect my life in any way. You know, like the (laughs) time that I spent with those people making that thing is actually like a part of my life. The experience of like other people watching it after it's delivered is not, worth building those mountains around almost in a certain way. Um, And I think that's the thing that for me, it's like, I like the stories and I like the gear and obviously like there's goals about that. But I think more than anything, like my goal for this year is like, I want to work on things that like, I'm proud of the working on it, not on the, you know, perceived, like it's not necessarily going to make me any more happy to work on an Under Armour sports thing than like the Buccaneer sports thing. Cause they both look the same, you know, like, and it's such an arbitrary thing to be like the logo at the end's different. So this one's better. Um, I don't know. I, which is, this is a super no. roundabout answer to your question about storytelling. <laughs> no, but I, I think that, I mean, that's a great, it's a whole nother point that, that is, that's great because I find myself to just on the last piece that I shot feeling not in the moment mm-hmm. and always thinking, Oh, how is this going to end up on Vimeo? How's this going to end up on YouTube? And, and not in like a big picture story way, just like a, how are people going to perceive this? Like how, yeah. Like just being not in the moment and what you're saying right there is yeah. Like staying in the moment, being in the moment, being in the process right? Like really being in the process of what you're doing is so important to all of us. Um, and again, yeah, the relationships that you build. I mean, if you're just only focused on what you can get out of this, right? Yeah. And like what the end product is, 
that's going to be a miserable like miserable experience for for the people working on it right and, oh totally yeah and so I, um yeah so so being a leader i guess um how how do you how do you build those build those relationships on set um how how do you become a, a great leader you think i mean in a dp role um you are a leader of a team um captain so to speak yeah um do you is there any any advice any anything that you can give to to being a somebody who collaborators want to work with right yeah um that's a really good question i think i think that the most important thing that you can do is focus on your like leadership skills almost independently of DPing. Um, like I think that your personal character almost is more important than your like DP-ness. Um, and so I think that like, I don't know, I'm a, I'm an oldest sibling. So I think that <laughs> sets me up a little bit, um, for natural tendencies to be bossy. Um, but same here same here i'm the same yeah, way so. um but i think that like the some of the things that are, are really important i guess if i were to try and throw stuff out are um as a dp realize that it's not your show um and really as any piece of the puzzle in production realize that it's not your show um because early on it's really easy to get caught up in like oh well this is my project and you hired me to do this and at the end of the day it's like well the first word in that sentence was you which means the client which means not you so sit down and shut up um being humble yeah you know yeah but like really like getting at, off your own high horse about like oh well like i'm the dp and so this has to be like if, if the director has something that the director wants done like you can throw your two cents in there and be like well this is what i think but at the end of the day you're hired to facilitate the director and if the director says something and the client wants something differently like at the end of the day you defer to the client you know um and so I think being able to defer decisions, like being able to tactfully speak your mind and say, hey, this is what I think, this is why I think it, um, then that can be really valuable. And even honestly, half the time knowing when to not say anything or like little things, like maybe sometimes, like especially for me, since I have done a lot of directing too, like it's really easy for me to have directorial thoughts. And so I try to be very upfront with directors about like, um, like I have a project that's coming up now that I was talking to the director and I was like, look, I'm going to throw this out here just cause I feel like it might be helpful to you. I'm very willing to like add directorial input, but I don't want to come off as in any way like, uh, encroaching on your role. So what I'll usually do is like, say we're shooting something, um, and I have a thought whether it's like, oh, you know, we could change the sequence or change the way we're doing this or little things like taking the time to walk over to the director and quietly tell the director your thought and give the director the opportunity to agree with you or disagree with you and then present it as the director is always a better solution than being the DP and being like, what if we did it like this? And then the director totally disagrees, but the client's like, that's a really good idea. And then all of a sudden you just overrode your director and the director is like skeeving at you because 
you know, and you probably didn't mean to do it to be a jerk, but it's like just taking the time to like even honor that chain of command and be like, look, I'm going to tell you this and you can take it or leave it and present it to the client if you want. Um, that can make a huge difference in like <laughs> yeah. putting your foot in your mouth sometimes. <laughs> well, and maybe the client liking you for that input, but yeah, I mean, the director is definitely not going to be too thrilled. And yeah, keeping keeping a chain of hierarchy and even I've had... I've had ACs go up to the director and be like, yo, I, I think that we should do this. You know, it's like, uh, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> like, yeah. And what? I think the thing for me is like, I'm, I'm the kind of person who tends to like not be overly bought into the like traditional, um, film sort of thing. Um, but I think you can still like, there's still a way to do that. Like even the short film that I was gaffing, um, at one point, I I had a thought about an issue the director was having with an actor. And so I told the DP and the DP was like, that makes a lot of sense. And so the DP told the director and the director told the actor. Um, <laughs> and yeah. like in a different relationship, I maybe would have just gone and told the director, like, what do you think about this? Um, but I think that like continuing to honor that. And so uh, kind of from the reverse of that, like that's kind of the, like, how do you fit in below people? And I think that part of being a good leader is being really good at fitting in below people really well. Um, because like, if you, if you think you're the top dog, then you're not going to be a good leader. So realizing like, okay, I'm not the top dog. And then being able to go like, um, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? How do I facilitate the people that I have? I think a really important thing is like identifying what people's, what people in your team's skill sets and weaknesses are, um, because you want to be able to support their weaknesses as much as possible, but you also want to be able to facilitate what they're really good at as well as possible. Because I think the, the most frustrating thing as like a crew member is when like someone asks you to do something and you super know like what and how to do that. And then they start like micromanaging it on you. Um, you know, like if you like get asked like, hey, throw, you know, throw 1K up over there and kind of, you know, pan it off the backlight here. And then like you go to start doing that. And then, you know, all of a sudden like DP or the gaffer is like up in your business, like messing with it. And it's like, dude, I can like I can do this at least, you know. Um, and uh, to the same token, like when someone asks you to do something and you don't know how to do it but they're not helping you in any way um, or they make you feel stupid for not knowing. It's so like for me as a DP, I try to recognize like what can I just let people do and I don't have to be involved in it at all, at least at first. And what are things that people are going to need my help with? And I don't have to be like a jerk about it. Um, so like there's even, you know, like say one of these other shoots we were working on recently, um, I had to ask a grip to like mess with one of these digital Sputnik lights we had. And he obviously didn't have, have any experience with them. Um, so I was like, Hey, can you, you know, switch the color on these? And I ended up just walking up with him and kind of running him through all the controls on the digital Sputnik real quick. And I was like, here's the hue wheel and how that works. And here's the saturation. And so if we're trying to like pan this off and I tried to give him this little quick lesson, but not like as like a, you know, overbearing demeaning, like just as a real nice, like, Hey, here's how this works and like try and make them feel not stupid, but like, Hey, you're really smart. Here's another thing for you to know. Um, and then at the same time, be able to be like, 
you know, go do this and, and they'll do a great job. And I think that applies to like as a director, when, when you're working with anyone, like let your DP be a DP and let your motion graphic guys, like I try to give people not vague notes, but like, this is what I want, sort of, this is what I want it to feel and let them do a good job. Um, and people appreciate that. Like, it's great being a DP working with a director and the director tells you enough. Cause I'd get driven crazy when directors tell you like nothing and they're like, just do whatever you want. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful. This isn't like, I have to be, this has to serve some kind of purpose. But at the same time when the director's like, Oh, you know, I think we need two of these over there and one of those over there. And it's like, dude, tell me what you want. Like there's a middle ground there. Um, and I think yeah. that living in that middle ground is one of the keys to like good leadership on set of identifying that like this is what i need to communicate this is what i don't need to communicate and let's let everyone do the best job they can do and then at any given point in time like there's no value most of the time to me like blowing up at someone or anything like let's you know be willing to get our hands dirty you know i'm always fine with going and doing things that i'm not supposed to as a dp quote unquote you know whether that's like moving stuff or carrying things um you should always be the first person there be the last person to leave always check up on your crew um i i had a guy i was working with recently he's like why do you keep asking me how i am I was like, dude, because I'm I'm in charge of you, and I gotta know that you're doing okay. So I I have a bad habit of that, but like every half hour, I'll like go, I'll see someone, I'll be like, how you doing? Like, how you really doing? Like, you need anything? Can I get you anything? Um, and and maybe that's a weird me thing, but it's another one of those like, if people need water or food or like, depending on the production, sometimes you know, there's other production people to deal with that, but like, check up on your people, make sure that you're facilitating your people, let your people you know, um, let your people do what they do, but like be ready to facilitate them, have them be ready to facilitate you and try to teach them even how to identify things that you're going to need, you know, like being able to be like, Hey, after this setup, we're going to have to go to this setup. So if you guys can like do this and like, after you do that a few times, they'll kind of like usually catch the memo and start to like move things ahead of time for you and stuff. Like they're going to start to identify, um how you work and how you're thinking about this and so if you can actually translate that of like instead of saying hey move this here be like look every time we switch we're like gonna flip this 1k to be a rim light for the other side then it's like they can just do it and you don't have to tell them every time you know um and so i think a lot of it's just being a good communicator like study communication and be good at communicating because there's nothing worse than bad communicators in production <laughs> yeah I mean, that's what we're in this field for, is we're in the communication industry. I mean, that's what it's all about. Dude, somehow there's a lot of garbage communicators still, though. I, right? Yeah, I know. No, I'm, I I definitely um, wish I took more communication classes at, in school while I was in there. Um, and, yeah, I'm trying to catch up to all that. And I guess doing this podcast is hopefully it's kind of a good training ground for uh, articulating. Yeah my ideas and whatnot and that's what i hope that i also get from this doing this podcast thing um on a uh, quick side note again on the making a podcast thing something that i quickly learned about the podcast that i would highly recommend you do is um listen to your own episode after you finish it because you will get driven crazy by all the things that you do that you hate that you didn't realize you do um and it'll it'll teach you to fix it really quick and I'm still okay. learning that, but like it, 
I quickly realized like, oh my gosh, I say like and um like way too much. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you like, when you're saying it, you don't notice it, but it's totally, it's one of the nice things about like a podcast or vlogging or whatever is like, oh, I get to like look myself in the face and realize all the horrible habits I have and try to <laughs> fix them. Yeah. And it's definitely like, uh, just externalizing, you know, like you just don't realize how you externalize what your what your thoughts are and your thought processes are. So, yeah. yeah, I appreciate that about definitely about blogging, definitely about this. I mean, this is only my second episode. Um, well, I guess uh, I don't know which episode this will be. Probably third, but anyways, um, yeah, that's what I like about this as well. Um, uh yeah. So, um, have you have you taken a Myers Briggs? test like do you know your personality i have but i don't remember what it is okay is that the like infj thing or whatever yeah yep yeah i don't remember if maybe that's it or maybe i just pulled that out of my butt um (laughs) i don't remember gotcha i i was just curious it'd be interesting to see yeah where everybody kind of is at cinematography wise yeah, I think um, I think a lot of us are the same. <laughs> yeah, I I would think so too. I mean, extrovert, extrovert. Yeah, uh, I'm looking Maybe. at it right now. I think E N F. I think E N F J. Maybe. Okay, I'm E N F P. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at the course now. How quickly can I take this test? <laughs> um, it probably takes about five minutes or so it's like 30 questions it's all good dude we should put um we'll just put like some elevator music on for the next five minutes <laughs> <laughs> and then evan took a test yeah um I, well I mean, if you want to go no dude i'll do it after though and i'll send it to you and if there people are curious they can read the notes there you go that's a good that's a good idea i don't know i just um with the company I'm, I'm at, we just did a whole personality thing at our retreat just recently. And so we like went through like a whole like day of like, Oh, how we deal with personalities and all that stuff. And it was just very interesting. So I, I'm kind of now I'm like intrigued by all that. So. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I'm um, not that familiar, unfortunately. Gotcha. Um, so you've got a lot going on, right? I guess. Um, are, yeah. <laughs> well, how do you discipline? Like, what are some of the disciplines? Like, I mean, doing all of all of your various endeavors keeps you, I'm sure, quite disciplined. Is there anything um, that you do on a daily level that really that you you find you have to discipline yourself to do, and and just any practical, like, you know, I I got to do this to help strengthen my craft, yeah, in, in myself. Um, I guess I have a few things. Um, one thing that I've been doing for a while, but kind of became more, um, intentional about doing consistently recently is just like constantly making images. Um, so it started, I've been doing that for a few years now. Um, but I used to just do it with my phone. And so I started making this hashtag because of an article I read. And basically the moral of the story, I get asked about this hashtag a lot and I never explain it is, um, that, the uh the the author was basically saying that part of like being a creative is um just constantly utilizing like the creative part of your brain um and sort of like scratching that itch i forget what the original use of the term scratching was um 
That was, um, I just read a book. Literally just read a book. It's about um, creativity or living it's habits of a habits of a creative life oh yeah it's probably the same guy who wrote this blog post yeah and it's um scratching yeah it's yeah so i know i know what you're talking about so i started like okay so i started this idea of like i'm just gonna take pictures and put them on instagram that are strictly like light and composition sort of like exercises for myself and kind of keep my like eyes open for that and then i started tagging them with the hashtag always be scratching and it was kind of this joke about like (laughs) You got to be scratching that itch all the time. Um, and so I was off the uh, Fuji Films bandwagon for the longest time, or Fuji <laughs> Frames bandwagon. And then I finally finally jumped on like two weeks ago or something. Um, and to me, that's just like a sort of a continuation of that um, practice of like, oh, I'm going to be intentional about like every day. Uh, making at least one good image and I think it's just really good practice for yourself to like be able to identify good images and frame good images and everything else that comes with that so I try to take a picture every day so I keep my Fuji in the pocket with me um I, which one do you use I have an x100t oh my gosh um, I want that I do want that dude they're not bad I got mine for 860 bucks on oh. eBay um, okay. with two batteries and a thumb rest and like, or three batteries. It's not that bad. Um, that's a range finder, correct? Yeah. It's a locked, uh, 23 mil F2, which is equivalent oh to a 35. Gosh. It's nice. I don't know. I like it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, for me, the great thing about it, like compared to, I have a 60 and stuff, but the nice thing about the Fuji yeah. is it's small enough to be sort of convenient to have around, but it also has built in Wi-Fi, So I just send the picture straight to my phone, edit them in Visco and post them. Um, cause I'm way too lazy to be like dumping cards to my computer every day. Um, I actually don't think I've ever dumped a picture from this camera yet. I just always end up, um, doing it all on my phone. They, and they just announced, I actually didn't get to read the announcements yet this morning, but they just announced the X100F today. Um, oh, so real? yeah, so that should I'll be interesting. So what's new? I'm 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 scanning the Engadget article while I talk about this. It says not much is yeah. new, but hopefully that means the X100Ts get even cheaper, because um, these are going to be thirteen hundred bucks, I guess. Anyway, um, so I take a picture every day. Sometimes I take a lot more than one picture every day. Oh, there's like a FedEx truck outside. I wonder if I got anything good. Um, what else do I do? Recently, since the tail end of December, I've started going to the gym at least three or four times a week again, um, which is really important for me because I got really fat over the last few months um, because work is brutal, dude, especially when you're like traveling yeah. and like eating while traveling and you finish a you finish a long shoot day and it's like all you want is like happy food it's like oh give me like spaghetti carbonara on a burger on more (laughs) spaghetti carbonara yeah do you get chick-fil-a up there we do in the the north we do oh my gosh that's Um, that's my weakness yeah chick-fil-a is deadly too i but i've been um working out more eating healthier because it's honestly like i think it's really important as a dp too like especially once you start getting into like higher level stuff like if you're rocking an amira on an easy rig all day like you can't afford to be out of shape really 
Yeah. Um, no, I hundred percent agree with you for sure. So exercise is important. What else do I do every day? Uh, something that I am trying to do less of and currently not being as successful as I would like to is like spending less time checking Facebook. Um, especially when I'm like trying to work on real things, it's really easy to like every time you have a tiny progress bar, it's like, let me check Facebook. Um, and I think Facebook's a big time suck. There's a uh, there's a cool app called Rescue Time that'll send you an email every week and tell you how much time you spent on every different thing on your computer. Um, ah, and it's pretty brutal when it's like you spent 12 <laughs> hours on Facebook and four hours in Premiere. It's like, dang, I got to fix that. Um, yeah. But Rescue Time is worth checking out. Rescue Time. I will I'll look that up. What else do I do? Um... I'd be very interested to see that as well. What else do I do? Uh, go to the gym, take a picture every day. Um, I think those are really the biggest things. Like I, you know, there's stuff that's like not every day, but like at this point, it's like almost every other day at least. I'm either working on like a blog post or a vlog or a podcast, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a good general like content creation exercise. Um, but yeah, I don't have a lot of other like daily rituals. Um, I've started trying to read more every day too. I'm reading this really good book right now called uh, Ego is the Enemy that I would highly recommend to filmmakers as well. Um, but I've tried to every morning sit myself down, make myself a cup of coffee and read at least a chapter of that, um, which I think is is really good. And just take it out of your Facebook time. <laughs> and it's yeah. It's easy. Um, but those are those are the biggest things. And uh take time to do your chores. That's another one that I have to do more <laughs> of. It's 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 honestly like it's sad, but it's true. Um it's so easy to be like, Oh, I have to like I was up until two in the morning last night working on this pitch document for a project and woke up this morning and was like, Dang, I never did the dishes yesterday. Um <laughs> So sometimes you got to like force yourself to like put down some of the other nonsense to take like 10 minutes and, you know, do your laundry or make your dishes. And in my case, not just let your wife do all of that, which is my, my bad habit for sure. Yeah. I'm living alone, so I don't have that. Dude, that's luxury. That's the um... life. I mean, I love being married, (laughs) nothing against being married, but there are times that like the first three years, I guess, of me doing film stuff, I was single and it's like, (laughs) you can just do whatever the heck you want. (laughs) It's kind of not a bad gig. Yeah. But I, I also am a a pretty neat OCD kind of, kind of freak. So I, I keep my place relatively clean (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) and I kind of, I kind of make myself do that or else I go crazy a little bit, but it's a good habit to have. Um, so I actually wanted to ask you this at the very beginning of the episode and where you were, where we were kind of talking about, um, all the stuff you do and how do you keep that work-life balance, man? Like, uh, you know, staying up till 2am on a pitch, how, is there any ways that, that you can kind of separate the life work? Any advice? Um, I would say that I am probably not a very good person to ask because I'm not very good <laughs> at it. Um, I think the the biggest, the two biggest things that I'm learning this year in that respect are one that I need to be better about like identifying valuable uses of my time. Um, and non-valuable uses of my time and valuable can be defined in any way in that context. Like it doesn't necessarily mean like monetarily valuable and it doesn't necessarily mean, 
um, like eternally valuable. Like it really can, can kind of be situational, but like being intentional about like what, what is the value of this and should I be putting time into this? Um, and making decisions based off of that. So whether that's Facebook or reading a book or making a podcast or doing a vlog or whatever else or working or, you know, making a pitch, like, is this something that I should be spending time on? Um, and being willing to say no more, which is honestly a really hard thing for me a lot of the time. Um, but I think just being willing to be like, people are okay with you not always being available. Um, and people are okay. Like sometimes it means being like, Hey, the podcast is going to come out a day late this week and no one's going to die. Um, you know, it, which, which can seem silly, but there are times that it's like, Oh, I'm going to like stay up late and crank out this podcast. And it's like, no one's going to listen to it when it hits the feed at one in the morning on Wednesday, as opposed to noon on Thursday, you know? Um, yeah. and so sometimes stuff like that and like, and learning like, maybe I take this project that's like gaffing a thing for free cause it's really valuable. But maybe because I took that, I should say no to some other thing so that like I can have enough time to like do all the other stuff I have to do. Cause you don't have to do everything. Um, and I think that's where like, it can be really good. Like if you have a good sense of like what you need to accomplish financially, um, on a given time frame, it can be really good for you because then you can have the confidence to say no to things. Um, so, you know, I feel like a lot of the times filmmakers feel like chickens with their heads cut off where it's like we're always just hoping another gig rolls in. Um, but sometimes it's good to be able to go like, okay, like I've made, I've done, I've got enough stuff this month that I'll be okay. So I can like afford to say no to something and like spend time on other things. Um, because it's a lot of the times easy to spend all our time either shooting or editing or on social media trying to dig up the next thing or talking to someone about the next possible thing or writing a pitch or responding to emails or doing whatever. And it's like, and then you have no life outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having time, making time to step away from it all. Yeah. And, um, is there any, are there any things that you like to do outside of film then? Is, is there any things that, that you you kind of like to disconnect Um, away from? I still I still do music stuff, not as much as I would like to. Um but I do music, I go to the gym, I what else do I do? I take Fuji pictures, but I guess that's connected. Um Yeah. I I play a lot of FIFA with friends. Um yeah, dude, it's kind of a problem. I got, dude, I got <laughs> roasted. We had friends over last night, and I lost five games in a row, and I was so salty uh, afterwards. It was brutal. Um, what else do I do? I, I will admit that I'm not, I'm not as good about doing other things as I probably should be because it's like, um, the the blessing and the curse of like being so into all of this is that your, um, hobbies and stuff end up being like ancillary aspects of filmmaking where it's like oh i have spare time so i'm gonna like do a blog post or a podcast or like and it all ends up kind of coming back into that same thing um dude you are hustling i mean i'm just gonna say it. I mean, <laughs> you are you hustle dude like <laughs> i'm just i'm just like i'm good at keeping myself busy and i really like everything i do so i just do a lot of it right. Um, but I think, uh, to be totally honest too, though, another thing that I'm being more intentional about this year is just making time to like be with other 
people doing things that are not related to film. Um, whether that's like last night hanging out and playing FIFA with some friends or like going to a movie. We went with some non film friends and saw La La Land last week. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And Fantastic. yeah. And so I think sometimes it's just like putting yourself in the context of like able to have life conversations with people who are not, um, people who are not all going to just talk about cameras and pitching and whatever else. Cause it's easy to get sucked into that world. Absolutely. And, and moving down to Atlanta, um, I, I don't know anyone here. And so the people that I've met here that have become kind of like my second family has, has been my, my small group at my church and getting to know them. And, and chatting with them and hanging out with them. And it's like the first time, like this is going to sound, this is going to sound sad, but it's like the first time I've actually hung out with people that aren't like, Hey, what's this new movie or check out this new gear. Like, you know, look at this article on no film school and just, just basically film geeks. And it's like the first time I'm, I've been, <laughs> I've been able you know, like interacting with these people who I can't really talk film geek stuff too you know it's been really good yeah it's been really good yeah that's awesome dude and church church people are a great way to go about that Mm -hmm. absolutely um cool well i guess we'll we'll kind of wrap this up um but i've got i've got just a couple kind of brief stuff that we can go over um what's your inspiration right now what inspires you hmm i think what's inspiring me right now um i think that like the things that are most inspiring me right now are looking at like the world <laughs> listen this is gonna sound super super douchey of me um but like looking at the world as a whole and like seeing everything from like macro big picture like you know, state of U.S. politics and international culture and everything else down to, like, the minutia of, you know, the homeless guy that you can drive by on your way to whatever. Um, And just seeing, like, everything that's going on out there and all the different ways that people um, end up interacting with other people, maybe. You know, whether that's politically or interpersonally or work related or whatever else or trying to interact with other people through expression through art and I think that you know the kind of the human condition and the human experience is such an interesting thing um and I think that it drives me to um want to explore that with other people so whether it's you know telling a story about um about something some experience someone had fictional or real or um you know selling a product or an experience for someone I think that just like interpersonal anything whether it's people that I know and reaching out to people is really what inspires me to like continue to go out and make more stuff um and like supporting people in various ways you know the blog and the podcast and stuff are all pretty strictly designed um to support other filmmakers in ways that I didn't feel supported when I was kind of coming up and and learning from the internet, so to speak. Um, I feel like the, 
that's my other big thing is like just making stuff that I've always wanted to see and never felt like anyone has done. Um, and then, I mean, like artistically I'm inspired by anyone who can make something that makes me feel something. Um, so La La Land was a big inspiration. Rogue One was a big inspiration. Music can be a big inspiration to me. Um, and then, you know, even just the people who are around you, whether that's like my wife or friends or whatever else, or going to the gym and seeing people at the gym. Like, I think that <clears throat> I feel like filmmaking ends up being a lot of like, um, self, self, uh, initiated rehab almost of it's like us externalizing a lot of our feelings and thoughts about things. And so I think that everything that we experience, whether it's, um, you know, the guy that you see at the gym every week or, um, the time that you have sitting down at dinner with your wife or the music you're listening to, like it all feeds into your brain and filmmaking involves like dumping your whole brain into things. And so that all ends up bleeding into it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a really pretentious answer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, I mean a, a little bit, but you know, I'll, I, I definitely, I definitely got into, um, through going, like getting into podcast, getting into, um, NPR and like listening to yeah. NPR and, you know, the human condition storytelling. Uh, I've, I've loved it. Like I love listening to yeah. NPR just because of that. And, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, any, uh, DIY tricks that, that you use, any fluorescence you pick up, pick up at, you know, Home Depot or any, <laughs> any oh, super man. cheap solutions that you love? Um, I feel like there's some stuff that like, there's stuff that you can always like pull out situationally. I don't have a lot of like consistent DIY tricks. Um, I would say the closest thing I can think of immediately is that I I really like having um, big modifiers on standby, even for like dock style stuff. So like I have a six by six silk, a six by six ultra bounce, and a six by six just black negative. And a lot of the times we don't have time to like run full six by frames on set. So I went to Home Depot one day, and they sell these. Um, I'm gonna look them up right now, and I'll send you the link. Um, this company, I think it's, yeah, it's like Night Eyes, like N-I-T-E-I-Z-E, um, makes these things that they're like, kind of like rubberized twisty ties. Um, so they're kind of like pliable metal, but they're like rubberized. And so you can kind of like form them into things, but they're just like ties. Um, and so I'll throw like four of them on one side, like in the grommets of a six by, and just leave them on there. And so then if we want to throw something up, like you have all these little hooks instead of ties. So you can either like just hit it to stuff in the location. Like if you have anything that you can basically like stick it onto, whether it's a shower curtain rod on a practical or like if you want to do anything or a lot of the times what we'll have around too is I have um, a few pieces of like six by frame where it's just like a six foot piece of you know, square quarter inch tubing or whatever they make those out with like a, an ear in it. So you can stick it in a single C stand, like as a T bar sort of thing. Um, 
And so instead of throwing up a full frame, we'll just throw up this real quick like T-bar and then just like really quickly throw the silk on there using these little rubberized ties and you can pull it off and move it around. Or sometimes I'll even take the rubberized ties and like wrap them around the fixture. Like I had, uh, I used to light with these Lowell case lights a lot that are sort of like Kinos. And it's like you could basically like wrap them around the back of the fixture and then just drape it over the front and it just kind of hang off the Kino and make a cool big diffuse source. Um, so those are kind of one of my, one of my little secrets, I guess that I use a lot. What else? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. And so you just put that on a C stand then with the hooks. Uh, yeah, sometimes. Well, and that's where like, it depends on the, the speed and like what we need. Like there've been times that I've used them where like, we'll just have a grip arm on a C stand. <laughs> and so we'll just really quickly, like, you know, you end up getting whatever, like a two and a half foot wide kind of hanging section, but you can just kind of grip it on as a, uh, a quick little way to mount the diffusion. Um, or we'll put like a six foot bar on the top. Kind of It all depends on like what you have time and access to. But the nice thing about these is that instead of like normal, um ties on frames you are a lot more flexible to stick it on stuff other than like a full frame oh okay i got you cool here let me i'm sending you the link now sweet oh yeah cool yeah i'll definitely uh link to that for sure um take this slowly that video um yes what is the aspect ratio <laughs> Uh, that's a great question. Um, let me think for a second. I want to say... That thing is wild, so, dude. I love it. Yeah. I I will say that I don't think it's any real aspect ratio. Um, I want to say that it's... It might be three to one or it might be four to one. Um, but what it was actually was that we had the Lomos and I put the, the 50 on there and basically um was like playing with the aspect ratio settings on the dragon sort of while we were there um and so i think what it is is it i think it's two to one d squeeze two times so i think it's originally like a four like four to one aspect ratio but i shot with two three five guides on too oh. um and then I think I split the difference in the edit where it was like the the full four to one or whatever was vignetting too hard. Like it didn't really cover, um, but I didn't want to go all the way into like two, three, five. So I just kind of like picked an arbitrary point in the middle <laughs> and was like, this is our new aspect ratio now. Um, but yeah, it's it's super trippy. Yeah, it's funky. I love it. Dude, it's so funny. I one of the things that I heard recently about that footage, uh, that footage is in a new rough cut of a reel that I have that I have to like finish actually cutting. And this editor was giving me feedback on my reel, and he was like, "Oh, was that like?" He thought that it was like shot on a DSLR with like an ISCO adapter oh, or yeah. whatever, and that that's why it was so wide. Um, and he's like, oh, it just struck me as, like, it looked like when you see, like, YouTube kids play with anamorphic adapters. And the director, his director was with him, and he was like, I didn't think that because it obviously looks, like, way better than that would, but it is a funny aspect ratio. And I was like, ah, it was totally just me, like, I can do whatever I want. I'm going to make something super wide. Because <laughs> why not, right? I love it. That's it, killer. I love super wide. I swear I'm addicted to, like, I can't, I have a very hard time going back to 16.9 sometimes. Yeah. 
Yeah, same here. I, I totally agree. I think that the two three five, like the scope is like my aspect ratio for sure. It's like, yeah, I just feel comfortable, you know, composing and, and working. In it, so. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny. Sometimes I'll have to shoot 69 and then I'll pull it in and like throw two, three, five on it. And I'm like, Oh, I, I still frame for two, three, five yeah. even when I'm shooting 69. Yeah. Yeah. It's like baked into your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's a funny aspect ratio. It is. It is. So I think I was inspired too in that, uh, for full attribution elevation did this video, which I'm going to forget what it's called now for like Easter. Um, Jared Hogan and, uh, who are the other guys over there? Code, uh, Cody Zenger, uh, a whisper in the chaos. And they did the whole thing in four to one aspect ratio, on a dragon and i was like this is sick i want to try that and i think that was what led me to do it gotcha Gotcha. if you haven't seen that video you should check it out by the way it's super dope they like went to like ireland and like all over europe and it's super pretty Hmm. okay yeah cool for sure um yeah i'll have to look that up i don't think i've seen that but i will um where sweet okay cool um he just sent me a link um so where do you see yourself in five years? So I have a, uh, I have two semi-related stories to that question, um, which are both bad answers. So I'll warn you ahead of time on that. Um, the first thing is that I, what was it? I guess it would have been maybe three years ago now, approximately, um, that I, went out to dinner with my now wife's father. Um, so my now father-in-law who at the time was scary bad man whose daughter I liked. Um, and we were, you know, just talking and whatever. And I think this was right before we kind of officially started dating. And he was like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, honestly, dude, like frick if I know, um, (laughs) probably not the best answer in that situation. No, I didn't. I didn't. I don't think that I won this whole dinner hangout that we had at that point. (laughs) We're best friends now, so it's all good. Um, but I was like, I, I really, uh, don't know, but that's, that's the memory that comes up whenever people say, what, where do you see yourself in five years? It's just, I remember him asking that and me being like, "Ah, I don't know. Um, but Five years ago, um, let's see, what's it's January now. Five years ago, almost exactly. Okay, I'm going to get really quickly sidetracked real quick. YouTube. Um, almost exactly five years ago, I want to say. Um, passion, candle. Sorry, everyone. I'm, I'm YouTubing something. Five years ago. What's the date on this? January 7th. So five years and 12 days ago. Um, I put out the first video that I had ever shot, um, which was this video that I shot for fun at Passion Conference on my brand spanking new Canon T3i. Dang. Um, Yeah. And I had never, ever, ever shot a video before in my life. Aside from like just, you know, for fun iPhone stuff. Like I'd never intentionally like shot something to make something. Um and that was five years and 12 days ago. And if you asked me five years and 12 days ago where I would be in five years, it would not be talking to you on this podcast. It would not be having a podcast. It would not be running a blog, having a YouTube channel. It would not be owning an Amira. It would not be DPing any of the stuff that I do. It would not be anywhere near any of this. Um, it would probably be 
in five years, I hope to own a 5D and be shooting weddings. Um, and so I think if there's one thing that I can confidently say, it's that I very quickly learned that I have no clue what's going to happen ever, and I can't try to predict it at all because um, there's just this weird like pattern of crazy God things happening that take me to places that I never expected to go uh you know i i made the podcast like almost as a joke where it was like i really like the like it'd be fun to do a podcast and like so i called up my friend phil and we like messed around with it and put it out and it was like super ghetto and i was like mixing it on my own and somehow like nine weeks later it was like oh and here's greg frazier and we're talking about rogue one and it's like dude how did that just happen like that was not on purpose at all um and the, I mean, honestly, all the educational stuff this year too, like it was, I got brunch with Matt Workman this spring and was like, Hey, you know, I've been like running this Facebook group for a while and I'm like debating making a blog and a YouTube channel. And he was like, you should try it. Like, what do you have to lose? And so I remember the day that my podcast with Matt Workman came out on his show and I had, I was at a job on the Cape and I had 1800 Instagram followers and I had no YouTube channel and no blog and no anything. And now I have 4,600 Instagram followers. Not that that's worth anything, but 3,000 3, Instagram followers in like eight months seems like a lot. Um, and get to run a blog where we get to share super cool behind the scenes stuff. And like, I guess, you know, long answer, long story short is like, I think that it's always good to set goals. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that my goals are never as lofty as what actually ends up happening. Um, and so, like, I don't see myself being, like, an L.A. feature guy or anything, you know. It, I, I don't even know how to contextualize, like, where I would want to be five years from now because I guess that'd be, like, I'm halfway through that point to my career. Um, but I think that the most important thing to do is, like, set yourself small, accomplishable, immediate goals and then just, like, step forward into that and just see where it goes from there, you know, whether that's, like, stepping into... um I'm just going to try to make a podcast and then, you know, three episodes in you got me. So it's all uphill from here. Um, you can only get better guests now. Um, but really like it's the biggest thing that separates the people who are doing great stuff and the people who look at them and admire them are, is usually just doing it. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's not a popular opinion, but most of the people who I see like commenting on my Instagram and being like, oh, I wish I could do that or, oh, that's such cool gear and whatever else is like, dude, I haven't done anything special and I've only been doing this for five years. Like, and I came from nothing, you know, I had $600 in my checking account when I started all of this and bought a T3i and like, I just started doing it. And, like, just kept doing it. But most people don't. And that's yeah. the thing that, like, you just got to keep doing it. And you'll make it so much farther than you ever thought you would. Because most people give up. Like, it really is. Yeah. It's, like, the marathon of if you can stick it out for a few years, most people quit. Like, they can't handle, like, getting their stuff picked apart. And they can't handle not being good. And they can't handle, like everything else that comes into it. And so if you can get past that part, like, like you said, learning how to make pretty images is good and getting networked, you know, just takes time. And like, it's not that hard to, to make it, I think, as long as you have the like, uh, ability to sustain yourself through that. So that's the very long answer to, I have no <laughs> clue where I'll be in five years. Great. No, that I'll have, I'm, 
I'll have a TV show. That's I'm going to throw that out there. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Dude, TV's not going to exist anymore, though. Oh, that's if true. Matt Workman has his way, Amira's won't either. Oh. Oh, really? What's... Oh, I don't oh. know. <laughs> Matt, Matt and I uh, poke each other all the time about our conflicting ideas for the future mm. of filmmaking. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. With him, it's all, yeah, all going to be digital 3D. You aren't even, and it's all doom and gloom. <laughs> there, there aren't going to be any people making it. It's just going to be robots creating our content. Really, I mean, obviously, that makes sense. It's all going to be, it's all going to be made in Cine Designer. <laughs> Shout out Cine Designer, Matt Workman. If you're listening to this, there you go. There's a plug for you. But um, oh my gosh, Evan Borger, thank you so very much. Thank you for this was fun. This has been so much fun and a pleasure. And I got to say, I was a little intimidated talking to you at first, but you know, it oh, was, come it was very, it was very chill by the end. And I, I really, I enjoyed everything that we talked about. Um, so everyone who listens to your podcast, right? I think they're all wondering the same exact question, right? When is the swag? When is the swag coming? Super secret film Dude, cast. there is swag. Oh, is there? There is swag, but uh, so what is it? So far, there's there's um, where is stickers. This? Oh, so some of it it's kind of secret. <laughs> the, it, it, it which it really it's funny because I say that, but it's actually true. I so I have never like promoted swag because I feel like a jerk promoting swag, um, but people ask for it, so it does exist. Um, so if you go to super secret film blog slash merch. Um, it's not a it's not a page on the menu. You have to cert, You have to like type it in to go to it. Okay. Um, but all right. we, we have square two inch secret logo stickers for like all your pelicans and whatever. Um, so those are out there in the world that people have stickers. And then we just did t-shirts. Um, we did a Teespring campaign because I didn't want to like order a million shirts. Um, but we have cool shirts. I just had some, I had mine come in yesterday. Um, so there are both shirts and stickers though. I'm open to any suggestions for other swag. Um, but yeah, it's like, and this is not to totally derail with a rant again, but this is one of my like own personal struggles of because I'm so tied to the idea of like, I'm not doing any of this as like a business model so much as I'm doing it just to like hopefully actually help people and like put information out into the world i get like overly skittish about anything that feels monetized to me um and so like i don't like pushing merch because it's like i'm not selling t-shirts to make money off t-shirts like i'm selling t-shirts because i think that what we have a really cool community and it's part it's cool to be a part of a cool community um but i never really posted them anywhere because i was like ah i feel like people are gonna be like oh look at evan cashing out on t-shirts like (laughs) like selling out (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, he's yeah, I'm going to cash all these $4 that I got from the eight t-shirts we sold and I'm going to go buy myself a latte. There you go. Yeah. No, I but I think I think that is cool about being a part of a community and I and I if you ever get a shirt on your on this merch site, I will I will be sure to pick one up because I dig it. I will we'll bring the shirts back. I the, the way it works with like Teespring is that like it's up for like a week or two and then they based on how many orders they get, they print them. Um, so we did, uh, we printed, I don't know, like 10 of them or something, but someone suggested another site that I should check out. So I I will definitely put that back up. Maybe I'll have those back up by the time people listen to this. So if they check out, uh, super secret film blog slash merch, they might find some t-shirts. Cool. Well, there you have it. The secret merch on the super secret film blog from the 
secret ever. Super secret t-shirts. Yeah, love it. All right, man. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, dude. Hopefully we can uh, do this again sometime. Absolutely. I will look forward to it. Again, I want to thank Evan Borger for joining me on this exciting show. I, I think we learned a lot. I definitely learned a lot. Um, and it was such a blast getting to know him a little more and just kind of diving into some of these really cool topics. So if you guys love this show, like the show, um, you know, share it with your friends. Um, you know, it really helps if you subscribe on iTunes, leave a comment, leave a rating. Um, tell me what I can do better. Um, some suggestions, anything helps. You know, I'm sort of new to all this still. And, um, you know, I'm always looking for... Uh, some comments and and how we can make this show the best it can possibly be so thank you so much for uh, sticking around um, I know it was a little longish I'm hoping to not keep these shows as long as this um, trying to keep them as shorter a little bit shorter and um, you know this has been really cool um, and I've and I've loved making these and whatnot so uh, thank you guys for joining and sticking around and uh I'll see you guys next week.